Hey, good morning. Thanks so much for being a part of our service today. You know, one of the beautiful gifts that God has given us is the gift of language, the vehicle by which we can express our thoughts, communicate to each other, build relationships, and so on. Just think about it if we didn't have language. I'm not even sure if we'd even be here. There are several words and phrases we use in the English language that immediately convey something positive, like, you know, he's a nice person, or she's so kind, they care about people, she's so loving toward others, he really listens to me, uh, they've got my back, and so on. And I put on here the screen one that I think also is one of those phrases, a grace-filled life. Even outside of Christianity, all of, uh, of which grace really is such a part, when we hear or even think of a grace-filled life, it implies positive qualities about that person, right? So, Right now, just take a few seconds and think about what comes to your mind when you see this phrase, a grace-filled life. What would that evoke in your mind? You probably could create a really good list of what that evokes. Hopefully, now you're kind of in a framework to think about a grace-filled life because today as we continue our series on Ephesians, we're going to look at what makes up a grace-filled life. And here's today's big idea. Six character qualities evidence that grace-filled life. We're going to see that from the scripture today. We're going to glean from this passage these six, six qualities today. And after we unpack the passage, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you these six statements, these six qualities that reflect a character quality related to a grace-filled life. And I'm going to ask you to evaluate yourself. We do this from time to time. Hopefully, uh, you're able to download the sermon notes online if you want to. You can even go to our website right now and you can download them and follow along. So here's how it's going to work. You will evaluate how you would describe that character quality in you using this scale. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to give that statement, that quality, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And then you evaluate yourself. Strongly disagree, disagree, not certain, agree, strongly agree, and so on. So before we jump in, let's do a little bit of review of last week. I gave you last week two phrases, not like me and a less than me. Not like me is simply recognizing that people around me are different in different ways. There's nothing wrong with noting those distinctions like different colored skin, different language, different dress, different personalities, reflects God's creativity. But the problem comes when our perspective shifts from not like me to less than me. Some of those words that would describe this less than me attitude we looked at would be included like prejudice or bigotry or discrimination, uh, intolerance and racism. And I gave you last week the big idea of this. Practicing the five R's can help us root out and remove a less than me attitude, which we don't want. And here were those five R's. The first one was, remember from where you came. We were separated from Christ, far from Him, without hope. We must not forget where we came. And not dwell on that, but rather dwell on this one. Reflect on where you are now. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have 24 access to God. You're a citizen of His kingdom with all its privileges. You belong to the family of God. And you're part of His new spiritual temple, the church. Then the third R was this, repent of any less than me biases. Just own up to it. Confess it to God. The fourth one was, rejoice in God's creativity seen in human diversity. This one new spiritual people called Christians does not mean we don't celebrate God's amazing creativity and how all around us people are different. 
And then where the rubber met the road was this one. I encourage you to reach out to an, a person, a not like me person. Now today's passage is Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. If you want to get your Bibles or if you want to get your Bible app and follow along, do so. I will read Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13. Okay, so here we go. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God, Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I, that is Paul, became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. All right, so let's go through this and see if we can understand that. Then we'll get to the kind of the application points. He begins with, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Remember, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter, under house arrest in Rome. Sometimes he was chained to a, shul, uh, a, shul, a soldier. <laughs> let's try it again. A soldier. <laughs> he was there because he maintained that the blessings of the new covenant didn't require a person to first become a Jew. His imprisonment was kind of like a house arrest that allowed for certain privileges, one of them being visitors. So his friends and inquirers about the faith would visit him as well as travelers coming from other churches in other parts of the Roman Empire. So his fellow evangelists could take the letters he wrote there and distribute these to other churches. See, he doesn't see himself as a victim of the Jews or even the Roman government. Certainly his detractors mocked his plight and tried to make things worse for him. Paul, however, sees him, his imprisonment as a mark of his apostleship. He saw himself as a champion for Christ, even in his suffering. So what he does, he starts a prayer, but he breaks it by explaining this mystery that God has revealed to him. So he says in verse 2, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now, this term here is a long word here, administration, is the idea of a stewardship or task. If you were a steward or a manager in that day for someone else, you had a lot of responsibility for the one you served or the one you worked for. God had given Paul this task and equipped him as a steward with a grace to carry out the task he was supposed to do. They had heard about this mystery, because he said, surely you've heard about it, uh, when he had actually been in Ephesus before his imprisonment. 
I mentioned last week that he took two key leaders. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned this. He took two key leaders to the church uh, in the ancient city of Ephesus when he had visited there for three years. Another leader was there. His name was Apollos. During his stay there, the whole area heard about the gospel uh, from Paul because he used a new communication technique teaching and leading discussions in a secular teaching hall. This is, these are the ruins of what was called the Hall of Tyrannus. And so he went there and he taught and he used discussion, which was kind of a new technique of communication. So he powerfully preached the gospel through discussion and his teaching. It became one of the most successful evangelism strategies in all of Christianity. That's why he could say, hey, you've already heard this. But he says, that is... The mystery made known by, to me by revelation, as I have already briefly written. Now, this mystery here is not like a Sherlock Holmes mystery in Agatha Christie book. Rather, this mystery was something that was hidden from human knowledge in the past and now revealed by divine revelation through God's Spirit to Paul. Through the Apostle Paul's writings and teaching, he was, it was now, this mystery was now an open secret. Anybody, the secret was this, anybody could enter the kingdom of God through faith and repentance. You don't need to be a Jew first. Uh, this idea, this open secret, really kind of permeate, permeates this chapter. The truth was not just for a select few, but for all. And God revealed it to the Apostle Paul, who is now God's mouthpiece to reveal it to the world. He says, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Two key words, understand and insight. Now, all of the Old Testament tells us that the Jewish people understood this in a limited way, that they would be a blessing to the Gentiles because the Messiah would come through them. It wasn't until Paul came along that this plan of God was fully revealed and that a new covenant would reveal this new spiritual race, this new body of Christ of both believing Jews and believing Gentiles. And this interesting word here, uh, insight, it actually comes from understanding and represents the profound comprehension into spiritual realities that God gives us, you and me today, through His Spirit. See, Paul was eager for them to learn and understand, but you know what it took? It took a desire and intentionality on their part, and our part, to understand it. In fact, it's very interesting. There's a little... There's a little uh, a section of the book of Acts that mentions a church in a little tiny village off the beaten path called Berea. Acts commends these Christians in this little tiny church, this little tiny village, for their hunger to learn. And here's what it records. It says, Now the Bereans, that's those, those people in that church in that village, were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Why? For they received the message with great eagerness and examine the scriptures every day to see if Paul said was true. You see, folks, learning about Jesus and the life he has for us should be an ongoing commitment on our part to continually grow in our understanding of God and God's word and what, how he wants us to live. There's a word in the next verse here that actually appears three times. I'm going to put the scripture up. See if you can pick out that word that appears three times, okay? So here's the scripture. See if you can find it. Did you find it? It's the word together. There's once, twice, three times. So it's the word together. And it, following Jesus 
is supposed to be a together experience, not meant to be a Lone Ranger experience. Because our faith is this together experience, it's vital that we come together with other believers for corporate worship. It's vital that we also are connected to other believers in smaller groups. Following Jesus was never meant to be a solo thing. Now, this mystery that God revealed to Paul and that which it has now been uh, a task to him to make known includes really three, three basic ideas. Every Christian, whether Jew or Gentile, is a recipient of God's blessings. Secondly, every Christian is now part of God's body, the body of Christ, the church. And number three, every Christian now shares in the promises of being in Christ, and there are many blessings in that reality. So in Christ, every believer is on equal footing, no matter your ethnicity, your skin color, or demographic category. Then he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. A servant was literally somebody that waited on tables. It's like when you go to a restaurant, somebody that waits on your table and cleans your table up. Paul did not bring personal qualities that he thought qualified him with his status to be God's mouthpiece of the Gentiles. It was all grace. It was all God's grace. And this grace is not used in this sense for saving grace, but rather grace for service. In other words, when God gives you or me a responsibility like Paul was given the responsibility to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, he always gives you the provision of his power to carry it out. He says here, God's grace to the working of his power. He gives that to you as well. And he says in verse 8, Although I am less than the least of all God's people. Now actually, he's making up a word here. There wasn't a word for him to use, so he made up a word. He experiences this sudden outburst of amazement that God would use him, a murderer of Christians before he found Christ, an opposer of Jesus in the church before he was miraculously saved. He didn't feel like he deserved this honor. He considered himself to be the foremost of sinners, unworthy of the salvation that God had freely gave, and unworthy of being God's tool to preach the gospel, even though he had tried to destroy the very church he's now preaching on the, on the benefit, for the benefit of. So he made up this word, and actually, if you were to transliterate it, it is this. It's the word leaster. <laughs> it means less than the least. He considered himself a nobody that God made into a somebody. This was not false modesty, but rather profound gratitude and humility in a Roman world where humility was not considered a virtue. He had persecuted the church. Yet God extended his grace to him, and he became Christianity's most influential Christian and theologian. Paul saw himself really as double-blessed, given the privilege of God revealing this mystery that all could be saved, no matter their ethnicity, and the privilege of being given the responsibility to make this secret known to others. He goes on to say, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Paul had three goals in his preaching. Preach Christ to the Gentiles, inform the world of this miracle of Jews and Gentiles becoming a new humanity, a third spiritual race known for its love, and third, to inform the angels. This is kind of an interesting one here. Part of the mystery 
is that the angels are actually watching redemptive history unfold, observing the teaching and the actions of God's people and taking great interest in it. Now, this word unsearchable is a powerful word. It is almost untranslatable into English. Throughout the, the centuries, translators have used words like uh, in, uh, inexplorable riches, uh, uh, untraceable, unfathomable, uninvestigable, inexhaustible, illimitable, inscrutable, incalculable, and infinite. See, the riches you have in Christ are so deep that although you can announce them, as Paul does, we can never fully explain them. They are so great and so vast that we can't fully comprehend them. In other words, we can never exhaust our understanding about Jesus and his work. The unsearchable riches of Christ revealed in his word will keep you on a transformative learning journey, growing journey, the rest of your life, if you want it. You will never exhaust the depths of wisdom and insight and knowledge of the incomparable Christ. Now here are the implications. Jesus always enriches our lives. He never subtracts. He only adds. He says in verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And this is a puzzling verse here. What are these rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? Well, scholars say it could be God's angels, I already mentioned that, that also have great interest in God's plan. It could also be fallen angels, demons. For demons, it is a defeat for them because Satan and his followers are all about dividing people and engendering animosity between different nations and ethnicities. The very formation of the church is tangible evidence that the power of evil, that, of, of evil angels has been broken, demonstrating that even the most diverse in God's creation are subject to Christ. Then he says in 11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, God's plan of the church uh, is not some hasty last-minute plan uh, when Israel rejected the Messiah. I like this definition here, this statement this, uh, this author made. He says, the open secret, remember there's this secret, this thing hidden. The open secret is that the church, the new humanity, a multiracial, multinational third spiritual race, will rule in the universe along with Christ and the angels. And that amidst the swirling tides of Marxism or militant terrorism and virulent materialism, now catch this last one. Only the church will survive history. We need to hear that today. He goes on to say in verse 12, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, in Athens in those days, freedom of speech was a prized possession, but obviously some could misuse it. And the idea here where he says freedom, where he says freedom is is the idea of, of uh, liberty in speech or frankness between two friends, which leads to confidence in such a relationship. Just as the freedom we have to come before God and share anything on our heart and mind gives us the confidence that we can come to Him for anything. It's like we have um, an all-access pass to come before God with freedom and confidence at any time for anything. Now, the practical outcome of being in Christ is that we can enter God's presence 
without any inhibition or sheepishness that might rise from self-reliance or self-consciousness. Then he says in verse 13, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now in the present context, the point is that Paul had never carried uh, out his ministry, he would have never carried out his ministry to the Ephesians uh, had he not been in prison. And the Ephesians would never have been introduced to Christ. So they don't need to be discouraged at all because of imprisonment. And what he writes about is not a plea for sympathy, but an example of how God is still at work in terrible conditions. He didn't want his persecution to dampen their zeal for Jesus. Rather, his suffering was meant to encourage them to persevere. I think we need to remember this today as we see the suffering of the Ukrainian Christians. At the point of this taping, over two million Ukrainians have left. Ukraine was a real center of Christianity, sending missionaries to other parts of Europe. They're standing strong in the midst of the most terrible circumstances. Their example should drive us to pray for them and to be emboldened to live faithfully in our world. Now remember that in our series on Revelation, we learned that as we approach the end times, Christians will suffer more. It is inevitable as we reach the end times. Let's go back to our big idea again. Six character qualities evidence this grace-filled life. Now what I'm going to do is give you each of these qualities that I'm going to ask you to evaluate how you would describe that character quality or kind of rank, rate yourself in, uh, using the scale that I'm going to give you, okay? So here's the first one. I meet the needs of others. This means that you just don't think about your own needs and wants. It's all about me. That's not, shouldn't be the case. Rather, do you think about other people's needs and how you might meet those needs when appropriate? This is what Paul did. God gave us his grace, not just for me, but so that we could be a blessing to others. And Paul's whole ministry was for other people's benefits. And just as God gave Paul the grace to carry out his God-ordained mission and purpose in the world, so he has given you and me the equipping grace to fulfill our purpose on earth, how we're to serve others. We actually saw this last week that God planned good works for us to do. We're saved to serve. So here's the scale. I meet the needs of others. Where would you mark yourself? Mentally do a tick mark. Strongly agree, disagree, not certain, agree, strongly agree. I meet the needs of others. Here's the second one. I prioritize ongoing learning and growth. Paul used the words understanding and insight to communicate to the Ephesians that they were to be learners, ongoing learners themselves. A Christian ought to be perpetual learning, always learning and always growing. So I prioritize ongoing learning and growth. Here's a scale. Strongly disagree, or disagree, not certain, agree, or strongly agree. How about you rank yourself? Here's the third one. I'm connected to a small group of believers. And in verse 6, he used the word together three times because following Jesus is not meant to be a Lone Ranger endeavor. That's why you and I need to be with the church. That's why being in a, in a smaller group with other believers is so important so that others can encourage us and walk with us and hold us up when we're going through difficult times. I'm connected to a small group of believers. Rank yourself. Strongly disagree, disagree, not certain, agree, I strongly agree. Rank yourself. 
Here's a fourth one. I have a proper estimate of myself. This is the whole idea of humility. Remember Paul made up that word, leaster, less than the least of these? This means that you're not proud, uh, arrogant, haughty, or that you show false humility. On the other end of the spectrum, humility is not self-deprecation, disparaging yourself, groveling, or being a, a passive doormat to somebody else. Biblical humility means believing what God says about you over anyone else's opinion, including sometimes your own. It requires embracing who you are in Christ and, and uh, over who you are in the flesh. To be biblically humble is to be so free of concern for your own ego that you unreservedly elevate others around you. It's a modest view of yourself. I have a proper estimate of myself. Rank yourself. Strongly disagree. Disagree. Not certain. Agree. Strongly agree. How would you rank yourself there? Here's the fifth one. I live a consistent Christian life in private and in public. Paul wrote that the church, you and me, must display his grace to those spiritual powers and to other people in the world. And I'm applying that to what our lives say about God to those around us in public, including in private with our families where only few people are seeing and watching us. I live the consistent Christian life in private and in the public. How would you rank yourself? Strongly disagree? Disagree? Not certain? Agree? Strongly agree. Rank yourself. Here's the last one. Number six. I'm confident that when I approach God, He hears me and He will help me. Paul wrote in verse 12 that we're to approach God with freedom and confidence. Because of the work of Christ, we had the freedom to speak freely to God, which makes us confident to approach Him. That confidence gives us the ability to speak freely, openly, and boldly to our Heavenly Father. Such confidence certainly includes any presumptuous or arrogant attitude, but rather we come to Him with humility and awe. I'm confident that when I approach God, He hears me and helps me. Rank yourself. Strongly disagree. Disagree. Not certain. Agree. Strongly agree. Now, I'm going to put them all up on the slide at once here. I meet the needs of others. I prioritize ongoing learning and growth. I'm connected to a small group of believers. I have a proper estimate of myself. I live a consistent Christian life in private and in public. I'm confident that when I approach God, He hears me and He helps me. So the question I want to ask you, which one of these was your strongest? I'll just pick one. Let's, let's say your strongest one was this one. I meet the needs of others. You're a real servant. Rejoice in that. Thank God for that. Just say, Lord, thank you so much for making that a, str a strong part of my life. Now, what was your weakest? I'll pick one. Let's say I have a proper estimate of myself. Maybe you, you grovel and you just really have a terrible self-concept. Maybe that's what you need to work on. So here's an assignment I want to encourage you to do. Every day for five straight days this next week, Spend 10 minutes with God in prayer and with your Bible asking Him what you need to do. What's your next step? By His power, by His grace, so that this character quality, whichever one you picked, if it's this one or whatever it may be, would become more of consistent in your life. So that's my challenge. I hope you'll take it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the, all the many blessings that we have being in Christ. 
We thank you that you're a loving Father, that we can come into your presence for any need. We thank you that you have given us your grace, uh, equipping grace, so that we might serve others and meet other people's needs. Lord, thank you for community that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that we would all seek to be in community with other, other believers and help us to live that consistent life in private and in public. And Lord, we know that right now, even as I'm praying, coming before you, we know that you hear me, that you hear others that pray, that you listen to us, and that you want to be at our needs. Thank you so much for that. Help us by your spirit, by your power, to more consistently live out these realities. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So, I hope you'll consider these six. In fact, why don't you do this today at lunch? If you go out with somebody, if you're home with your family or by yourself, review these six. Spend a little more time on these six today. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, join us for our live service. I hope you'll join us. We now have one service at 10 a.m. God bless.